Yeah. Good morning, everybody. My sister and brother-in-law from England are here. You may not have noticed. <laughs> they have fans watching online. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good to have them here. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving with them today for having a late Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Who ate too much turkey? Yes, yeah, and it's just the beginning of the season. We had a great start to our Thanksgiving with Thanksgiveaway. Um, we had a crew that, that gave away food with the, the Hungry Souls on Thursday. That was just an awesome way to start Thanksgiving, to go to somebody's house and give them food and pray with them, and it just lifts your heart. And uh, I, I seriously think sometimes it's more of a blessing for us giving the food than it is to those who receive it, or at least as much of a blessing. So that's the great thing with all of that. I want to thank everybody that went to Blaze Pizza last week. Blaze Pizza had a, a, um, a fundraiser for us, and a portion of, of uh, what you purchased there was given back to the church. As a thank you, on the table back there, they have given us a whole bunch of these buy one, get one free pizza cards. I feel like this is a commercial now. <laughs> <laughs> our sponsor. <laughs> so grab one of those when you sign up for the Living Nativity <laughs> down there. Well, today we're going to continue on our trek from trek to Bethlehem and beyond. So far we've looked at, uh, this is week four, the first week we looked at discontent in heaven, which is where the problems began. Then the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. And uh, the Lord's promise, I don't know if it's a promise or a threat to, to Satan that, that the seed of the woman, he said, you, you're going to hurt his ankle, he's going to crush your head. So it was the beginning of this promise that leads all the way down to Bethlehem and beyond. We looked um, through the flood, the, pr the days prior to the flood to Noah and his three sons that became the origin of all of the nations of the earth. And then last week, down to Abraham, we got the promise that God gave to Abraham that this land, I give you this land, and you will be a blessing to all the peoples on earth. Your people will number like the stars. And this morning, we're moving through Isaac. We're not stopping at Isaac. Sorry, Isaac. And we're going on to Jacob and his brother Esau in what becomes the birth of a nation. There's another long passage of scripture. It goes from Genesis 25 to 49, 24 chapters. And it's quite the read. It, it is a story of betrayal, deceit, lies, contempt, vengeance. It's not pleasing reading. It, 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 it's kind of interesting. And, and the, the struggle begins. Even before these two boys are born, they're twins. Isaac is married to Rebecca. She's just like her mother. She was unable to conceive. So Isaac prays to the Lord, and the Lord answers his prayer, and, and, and Rebecca gets pregnant. But right from the get-go, there are signs of problems. In Genesis 25, 22, 25, verses 22 and 26, it says, But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. How'd you like that, ladies? 
to have twins inside of you fighting. You can't even say anything to them, you know? Just stop it. So she went, it was this bad. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Like, why is this happening to me, God? And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations from the very beginning. I mean, this is before the beginning, isn't it? From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. So not a good start carries on. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So she has a hairy red baby. Esau means hairy, but Esau was also known as Edom, which means red. So hairy red baby, hair like a fur coat. I mean, what do you say? (laughs) You come around, oh, your baby is lovely. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other one they named Jacob. Jacob, the the meaning of the word Jacob has kind of two meanings. Heel holder, because he was literally grabbing his brother's heel, but it also means supplanter. He was one who is holding on to, to take that which belongs to another. A supplanter is someone who usurps somebody else. He takes what belongs to them as if it was his own. So this is the character of these two. But God's already told Rebecca that the younger Jacob will serve will be served by the older Esau. So we know where the story goes. Now, Jacob, he is an intelligent, quiet, scheming, stay-at-home kind of guy. And he is mom's favorite because he's always there. Mom's at home, Jacob's at home. Esau, he's more of your man's man. He's rugged, he's an outdoorsman, he's a skillful hunter, strong, capable of surviving in the wild, and he is dad's favorite. So we've got favorites going on here. Dad loved to eat the wild game that Esau would bring home, and, you know, they'd talk about the hunt and everything else. Now, Esau, being the oldest boy, traditionally is the holder of the birthright, the inheritance. This was the tradition. And it is through Esau's genes that this promise all the way back from the garden will be carried forward all the way to Bethlehem, or so it should be. That's his inheritance to pass on to his children. But Esau, if you read through the passage, was a man who very much was controlled by his desires. Couldn't control his desires. Had very little self-control. You ever had very little self-control? You ever shop when you're hungry? Oh, it's a bad thing, isn't it? <laughs> I'll go in there for a, you know, a gallon of milk and I'll come out with a thing full of food. Because, oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. And then right at the beginning of the, of the, after the weird encounter in the womb, there's another weird encounter where Esau gives up his blessing, his birthright, his inheritance for a bowl of lentil stew. So let's read it. 
Genesis 25, verses 29 to 34. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What, what good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. And this last sentence is key to this. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Now, obviously there's a lot more to this story than what we've got. Here's how I see it. This is such a long passage. You can't read it all, so you're going to get the, the PMV version. Anybody read the PMV? The Pastor Mike version. <laughs> so first, we know something's going on with Esau. Now, from subsequent scripture, right after this, we know there is a severe famine. So I'm thinking that probably plays into the situation. Esau's gone out hunting. There's no animals. Maybe there's nothing to drink. He's gone out for a couple of days. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He literally is exhausted. He feels like, I'm about to die. And he comes home exhausted and hungry. Probably hasn't had anything to drink. And when you're exhausted, you're not thinking straight. If you hadn't had anything to drink, you don't think straight. And he gets back home. He's just about back home. And he smells the food. Fresh baked bread. Lentil stew. You ever had lentil stew? It's not popular. Lentil soup is my favorite soup. Oh, it's good. But he smells this. He's been gone for a couple of days. He's seriously hungry. He's exhausted to the point that he thinks, I'm going to keel over and die. And, oh, man, Jacob's cooking up some stew. I'm hungry. And he comes in, falls through the door. Jacob. I need food. I need it right now, man. And Jacob, the schemer, opportunity knocks. Opportunity. Opportunists will always take advantage of another's vulnerability. They're, they're very good at timing things. And I imagine Jacob looking at him, you know, the food is, is kind of scarce right now. I'm sorry, Esau, but uh, there's actually only enough for one here. And you're not the one. And poor Esau, he's so exhausted, he doesn't even have the strength to whack his puny, pasty white, stay-at-home-with-mom brother upside the head and take the stew, which he probably would normally have done. He's just, no, I can't. Come on, man, I need to eat. Well, you know, Esau, I wish I could, but there's only enough for one, man. Sorry. Jacob, my brother. I'll do anything. Anything? And then he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Now, Jacob might be a, a, a sneaky schemer, but Esau 
is contemptible. And you see this in subsequent scripture. He doesn't care. I mean, who gives up their inheritance, their birthright, for a bowl of stew? And then I wonder about the circumstances. Did anyone witness this? Your word was key back then. If you said it, if you swore it, that was it. It was a done deal. I can't imagine it was just the two of them. Otherwise, he just said, no, I didn't say that. We don't know. But it's very, very strange. So anyway, life goes on. The famine gets really bad. The whole family moves away to foreign area. They're in a foreign country anyway, but they move to even more foreign place. And Esau chooses to marry two foreign women, which as the eldest, as the one who holds the birthright, you don't do this. We're keeping it in the family. It's our seed. It's our promise. It's our people. Why are you marrying these foreign people and taking what God has blessed us with over to them? And he does it in a manner, the scripture says, it's in contempt of his parents. Abraham and Isaac, dad and and granddad, both went out of their way to marry girls who were in their family bloodline to keep the promise in the family. It was so important to them. Not Esau. He does it in a contemptible way that displeases his parents. It's like in your face. And there might have been something from the first thing going on. You know, he thinks, I don't have the birthright anymore. Why should I care? My idiot brother stole it from me for a bowl of stew. Who steals your birthright for a bowl of stew? (laughs) Jacob, he's a goody two-shoes. He doesn't do this. He waits to marry a woman in the family line, but not Esau. He marries two Hittite women. And the scripture says his wives treat his parent badly. What what does that say? Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Like your daughter-in-law is making your life miserable. Esau doesn't care. He's got contempt towards his family, contempt towards his parents. The next interaction is in Genesis chapter 27. It's a continuation of the same kind of twisted theme around this birthright. And here's where Jacob brings his plan to fruition. Isaac's old. He's going blind. He knows he's going to die soon. He's got this promise. He's got this this, this thing that he has to hand down to the next generation. And it's called a blessing. And Esau is the oldest. And Esau is his favorite son. And even though it means that the blessing is going to go outside of the family to these ladies who are being nasty to us, I'm still going to give Esau my blessing. And he tells Esau, he says, go on out. I'm getting really old. I'm about to die. Go hunting. Bring back some game. Cook me my favorite meal. And I'll give you the blessing. After all, you're my firstborn. And the inheritance belongs to you. So Esau heads out. Rebecca, Jacob's her favorite. She hears this conversation. She's thinking about these two miserable Hittite ladies that treat them horribly. And she's thinking there's no way those ladies are getting the inheritance. And she comes up with a plan. She says, Jacob, go out, get a couple of goats, kill a couple of goats, I'll cook up a 
meal that he really likes. And what I want you to do, skin the goats and put the skin on. And then you go into your dad. He's kind of blind. He can't see. Tell him you're Esau and you take Esau's blessing. It's like, hmm, doesn't sound like the greatest plan in the world to me, but it works. And Isaac blesses Jacob thinking that he's blessing Esau. And your word was your word. It was irrevocable. Once that blessing was given, there's no going back. Jacob is barely out of the door. Then Esau comes in. He's cooked up the stew or the food already. He comes in and he says, Dad, I, got, I did what you said. I hunted and, and I've got the, the meal that you want here. Give me your blessing. And Dad's like, what? I just, just, we just did this. And Esau's like, no, no, we didn't just do this. I just came in. And, and they're both kind of like, well, what? We're, we're. Jacob. And Esau now, he didn't care about his blessing earlier. Now he is incensed. He is absolutely angry. Now remember, the Lord has already told Rebecca that both of her children would become great nations and the younger the older would serve the younger. This is already written by God. But she's come up with her own plan. Esau thinks, okay, there's only one way to fix this problem now. Because the word is irrevocable. As soon as dad dies, I'm killing Jacob. And then I'll get, <laughs> and then I'll get my blessing back. Got to kill Jacob before he gets married and has kids. So, Sorry. Yeah, before he gets married. So that's the plan. He wants vengeance. Jacob knows he wants vengeance. So what does Jacob do? He hightails out of there. I'm running. I got to get out of here. He goes north. He goes all the way north to where his grandfather, Terah, settled with Abraham. His family is still up there. And he gets wives from the family up there. But this, this his character... It's the same. The deceit, the double-crossing, and the treachery continues. His father-in-law double-crosses him. Then he double-crosses his father-in-law, ruins the poor guy, takes all of his wealth, double-crosses his brother-in-law. They're all getting mad at him. He thinks, i got to get out of town here because these people want to kill me. I'm going to go south. So he starts heading south, and he's thinking, well, Esau's down there. He wants to kill me. And, and now he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard, hard place. These people want him. These people want him. Esau hears that Jacob's heading south, gathers up an army of 400 men to go meet Jacob. Jacob finds out about what Esau is going to do. So Jacob is in this place now. He is in a mess. All of his trickery, his deceit, it's all coming to roost. It's time to pay the piper. What do you do? He prays. It's dark, and he prays. And he just said, God, save me from Esau. You can read all about it in Genesis chapter 32. He sets up camp for the night. He sends all of, he's got all of his entourage, all of his wealth, all of his flocks, his herdsmen, his wife, his children, wives, his children. He sends them all out of the way. For a little bit, he's alone. It's quiet. 
can't go that way. He can't go that way. Esau's coming for him. And then something really, really weird happens. It's in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 30. It says, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came in and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. The man said, let me go. For the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob knows that this is no ordinary man. There's something weird is going on here. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Isn't that a weird passage of scripture? Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. So Jacob, there's a lot of weird encounters in this whole story, and I'm skipping through it real quick. He knows that this man is no ordinary man, and he also knows this man let him win. I mean, you get to the end of the fight, and the guy just touches him with his finger and dislocates his hip. Like, that's a clue. This could have not gone well for you, but I let you win. Israel means struggles with God. L on the end of Israel, wherever you see L in the Old Testament, that means God. That's the word for God. Struggles with God. So there's a nation on this planet whose name is Struggles with God. Now let me explain what's going on here because it's kind of weird. Jacob's got a problem and it's a character problem. But I'm not talking about his character. That is a problem, obviously. The problem for Jacob was that he didn't trust God's character. God had made a promise, given it to Eve, to Noah, to Shem, to Abraham, to Isaac, told Rebekah. There's absolutely no way that Esau and Jacob did not know about this blessing as young kids. This is part of their family ethos. They, you know, God talked to granddad. God talked to dad, told us that this land that we're, we're in here, we're kind of foreigners, but this is going to be our land. And he said that we will be blessed and we will be a blessing. And guess what, boys? You're going to carry that blessing forward. You, Esau, are going to carry that blessing forward. Which is why when it goes back and it says that he had contempt for his blessing, that's why that was such a big deal. He would have known what that blessing was and what it meant, and he sold it for a bowl of stew. So you've got one guy that's contemptible and Jacob. 
Jacob spent much of his life chasing after what he already had. God was with him, but he wanted to do it his skullduggery, nasty, contemptible way. And he wrestled with God. And God said, okay, Jacob, you wrestle with me. You do it your way. I'll let you do it your way, Jacob. You've wrestled with man. You've wrestled with God. And you win. I am going to let you win. But at what cost? How's your life going, Jacob? You're sitting out in the middle of nowhere here. You've got people from the north coming for you. You've got people from the south coming for you. How's it going so far, Jacob? It's like your problem, you already had the blessing, but you didn't live it. And now you're going to limp. It's a reminder. You can fight God if you wish, but surrender is a much better option. Trust is a much better better option. This is a great passage of scripture for all of us because I know so many who wrestle with God. They know in their heart that surrender is a much better option, that trust is a much better option, but they're going to fight and they're going to do it their way. And while they may win because God is a gentleman, he's not going to force his will or his way upon you, they limp along in life. Life could be so much better, but they're limping along in life because they're doing it their way instead of God's way. Are you limping along in life? Are there areas in your life that could be so much better if you would just give up and surrender your will and your way to God's way? When you could give up the fight and say, you win, God. And God says, okay, let me give you my peace. There's a lot more to this story. Much, much more to this story. God answers Jacob's prayer. There's this weird thing that goes on now where Jacob sends ahead of himself his servants, to put gifts along the way so that as Esau is coming north, he keeps seeing these gifts from Jacob. And he keeps collecting the gifts as he gets closer to get Jacob, and God changes Esau's heart. And when Esau and Jacob finally come face to face, Jacob is quaking in his boots. He's split the camp in two because if he comes after me over here, at least they can get away. Or if he comes after me here, they can get away. <laughs> and then the snake, as he is, he sends his servants and children ahead, <laughs> meets Esau, but Esau's heart has been changed by God, and, and Esau meets him and says, I was coming north to meet you. I heard you were in trouble. I wanted to make sure everything was okay. And Jacob's like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> God appears to Jacob numerous times in this account. And like I said, there's so much more. And from Jacob and his 12 sons now, the nation of Israel comes into being. So it, it starts off way back in the garden with just Adam and Eve. And the promise really is to Eve by her seed that's handed down. It's kind of neat because it starts with Eve and it ends with Mary. 
a bunch of guys. If you look at the genealogy, in between is a bunch of guys. Eve, Mary. <laughs> Book ends. Gives the promise to, to Eve. Goes down through all the evil before the flood comes to Noah. He gives it to Shem. Comes down through Shem. Comes to Abraham. The promise is expanded. Your nation, you'll be like the stars in the sky. This is going to be your land. It's a great promise. Not only will you bear the seed of, of the Savior, but you will be a great nation. And it comes through Isaac to Jacob. But from Jacob, the narrative changes because Jacob has 12 sons. And while the seed goes down through one son, the 12 sons become the nation of Israel. And the whole nation is blessed because Abraham is their father. And from here on, every narrative up to this point has been about the person that carries the seed. It changes at this point because in the midst of this story, we ta start talking about Joseph. Who's not part of the seed. And then we talk about Noah, who's not part of the seed. And then we talk about, who's it that captured the promised land? I can't think of his name. It begins with J. Joshua. Joshua, thank you. Not part of the seed. So the story gets much more expanded. And, and it's really neat because I love the way, so now it becomes this nation from a family. It becomes a nation. Comes all the way down through time to Bethlehem and it comes to Jesus. And Jesus changes the story again. It's no longer about a nation. Now it's about a people. His people. But it changes even better than that. As it moves forward, it changes to a body. The body of Christ. The believers. And we are this family. Now this... This whole ugly family dynamic that we see here continues into the next generation. Contempt, deceit, jealousy, favoritism. It's very ugly. And I was going to give us 13 steps. 13 is a nice number for you. On how to live together and thrive together as a body, as a family. But I'm not going to do that. Thank you, God. I want to leave it here this morning. I might do that next week. I want to leave it here this morning. I just want to take us to prayer and lead us in prayer. I don't know where you're at in your walk. I got to believe that we've got people here like me who wrestle with God. They know what's right. They know what God's plan is for their life could be in a specific area in your life, but you're wrestling with God. And while your life could be so much better, you're limping along because you're wrestling with God. Jacob, when he was stuck between a rock and a hard place, stopped. And he did what you need to do. God, I need your this is not working very well. And then God shows up and literally wrestles with him. Changes his name. Struggles with God. And won. But at what cost? So if you've got an area of your life that you're struggling with God with, it begins with prayer this morning. 
God, I want to give you this area of my life. I want to give you this struggle. But then it goes to another step because so often we, we pray and we think that God is going to wave his magic wand and through the power of the Holy Spirit, everything is going to be okay. Well, typically that's not the way things work out. Typically, if there's a struggle going on in your life, it begins with God. He gives you the strength and the power to overcome the struggle, but you have to take the steps. You have to do the work. He doesn't do the work for you. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but let's, let's just go to prayer, and we're going to pray about that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this account of Esau and Jacob. And I know as I was going through it, Father, <laughs> this wasn't the end that I had in mind, but it was the end that you brought me to. And I believe that you orchestrate those things. And Father, when you look down on this group of people here right now, they're in all different phases of life with different things going on, I'm sure there are, there are many here this morning, like me, who struggle to do things our way. We make a plan to fix things that you've already said, I got this. All you need to do is be obedient to me. Don't wrestle with me. I got this. I want you to have peace. Father, if there's one out there today, I pray that they would begin this journey of, of healing, that they would no longer limp along in life, that they would become whole in you and through you because you are our God. Your word says you have loved us with an everlasting love. You will never desert us. You will never leave us. That you have a hope and a future for us, Father. I pray this morning, Father, that whatever it is, who could be, who knows what, would just give it up to you and have the courage to take the steps that you call them to take to bring about wholeness and healing in their lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We got a lot going on. Um, so that thanks.